Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Empire State Conservatives Podcast, episode 113. This is our Sunday sit-down with Moshe Hill. It is me, your Evan, with the All-American Conservative Solomon Tack. We are here, guys. Remember, we are here to expose the leftist agenda, to take back New York, and basically to educate the populace on what it means to be a conservative in America, which nowadays just means being an American. Moshe, great to have you. If you could just tell us a little bit about yourself and the folks at home quickly, um, you know, what you've been doing, you know, your perspective on stuff and where you learned, where you got your conservative background. Uh, thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Um, I was born and raised in New York. And so being a conservative is uh, not really something that happens when you're born and raised in New York, but I'm also a religious Jew. So it's a little more common uh, amongst my people. Um, so then around a year ago, I started uh, writing. Uh, I, actually, it's been almost two years now. Um, I started uh, volunteering for a congressional campaign. I volunteered for the Amir Benno campaign in my district when I moved back to Long Island. Um, I've been uh, lobbying Congress uh, on behalf of pro-Israel um, uh, organizations. I lobbied Albany on behalf of a, uh, a school organization to get more funding for non-public schools. Um, and I uh, started writing for that political blog, the Candidates blog, and then continued writing for uh, the Queen's Jewish Link, which turned into a weekly column, and uh, started writing, uh, wrote a couple pieces for the Daily Wire, which turned into a little more regular uh, 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 submissions, uh, wrote for JNS.org. Uh, so I'm writing, I'm, I'm doing podcasts, you know, I'm just trying to trying to make it a little bit better. I'm trying to volunteer and trying to just take back New York, just like you're trying to do, you know, just a little bit at a time. Very, very busy. Daily Wire, nice name drop right there. Leftist here's Tumblr right here. Uh, mine's on my on the way. I had to wait for the uh, the Cyber Monday deal, you know. I got, oh yeah, you I got to I got to do something, you know. what I'm saying <laughs> half off, yeah, but it's it's still on the way. So, I, but I got my ladder with Crowder mug off off screen. Oh, very nice. Very nice. <laughs> All right, guys. So as you know, our Sunday episode is a little more relaxed, um, a little more conversational. We are going to tackle three topics today. The first one is a little more pop culture. Ricky Gervais started off the night at the Golden Globes by calling out all of the American left all at once to the chagrin of everyone in attendance who is not named Adam Driver. From their absurd ideas that people care about their politics or culture to the fact that many of them were associated with both Jeffrey Epstein and Harvey Weinstein. I mean, Tom, uh, not Tom Cruise, Tom Hanks' face kind of said it all. But Moisha, can you just give us your um, your kind of take on on the night? So, yeah, I didn't watch the show. I only watched the clips afterwards because I stopped caring about award shows many years ago when I used to really be into movies and award shows like when I was younger. But that was when movies were really good and they and the movies that got awards were the good ones. Um, but the Ricky Gervais thing was fantastic. I think the thing that's gotten flowed so far under the radar was the joke that he made that Catholics are pedophiles. He also made a joke about the that there was a like uh, there were pedophile movies and one of them was the two popes, and nobody talks about that because okay. Catholics have better senses of humor than than Hollywood leftists. Uh-huh. I mean, the, Catholics could at least laugh at themselves and be like, "Yeah, you know what? Like a lot of stuff has gone down, and that's kind of funny." Um, but Hollywood leftists can't take it; they can't take the heat. And I love the fact that he called on everyone to not give a, a sermon and don't tell, give your political opinion. And then what happened? A bunch of people gave their political opinions. It was absolutely hilarious. Zach. Yeah, that, that's, uh, 
that was the absolute highlight of the night. Um, unfortunately, I didn't watch it either because I stopped watching, like you said, years and years ago. Um, any kinds of award shows. I think the last award show I watched, you still had the BET Awards. So that goes to show how long ago I've watched an award show. Way to be a stereotype, Tech. <laughs> I can't help it. I like fried chicken too, okay? But uh, <laughs> it, it was great. I think it's delicious. I mean, it's. <laughs> I, I think I think the biggest one of the big takeaways that keeps going unnoticed was the Michelle Williams speech, where she said that if she hadn't had her abortion, she never would have won a Golden Globe. That I think that just really speaks what? to the left's pride. That's what she said. She said that. <laughs> it is incredible. I'm actually going to write a, an article about that about how for the Queen's Jewish link because I want to write about how that is idolatry. That is literally sacrificing your child on the altar of an idol, which is, I, I listen, I'm not a, uh, a theologian or a biblical scholar, but that's pretty basic uh, Old Testament, don't do that stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. How, how do you value the uh, getting a, a garbage award over the life of a child? Like, I don't care what your views are on abortion. To make that comparison, even, I don't care, it doesn't matter what your views on abortion is. That is a horrible, horrible comparison. A professional award? Come on! Update me on that situation. Did she have an abortion just so that she can star in a specific movie? Because I, this is my first time hearing about that. No, she said she had an abortion early on in her career, and that allowed her to continue to get... Like, come on. Oh You're telling God. me there are no mothers in Hollywood who are winning awards? This is garbage. Well, Beyonce nonsense. is the number one. I'm curious. <laughs> yeah. Beyonce was on stage for I'm just curious if that happened. Oh, my God. Well, she was on stage pregnant, too. That was also the ridiculous thing. The Michelle Williams is visibly pregnant when she was accepting her award. Her award. So she's visibly pregnant, accepting her award, talking about how she got an abortion for her last, uh, earlier on in career. And, you know, listen, I think that that was probably the most, you have to just, just like, really not believe that a unborn child is a human being at that point. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you, you can't believe it. And you have to be so deep in that belief that you just you look at it as as a parasite or 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 you had your pancreas out or I had my gallbladder whatever the the one that doesn't matter I'm not a doctor but the uh, there's one that doesn't matter then or appendix so you had your appendix out and it wasn't uh, that big of a deal you know so if she said on stage though oh I had my listen if I had appendicitis when I was on the set of Dawson's Creek and I uh, and I had it out and if I didn't have that that out. I wouldn't be able to get this award today. I don't think they'd be able to cut away to the audience crying. I think I would just be confused and be like, what are you talking about? And that really what is, that's the reaction you should have. You should have a reaction of just like, what are you talking about? This is ridiculous. And I can't believe that she can get away with something like that. It, it's, I think it's insane, but I think Adam Driver's reaction was the best because everyone was looking disgusting and they cut to Adam Driver and he is just laughing hysterically at everybody just being like, who did Ricky Gervais think he is? It's like, this is the guy who started the British office. That's exactly who this dude is. This guy is based right now. And Adam Driver is dying in his chair. And Tom Cruise looks like someone has a turd underneath his nose. <laughs> I can't oh, believe you said that. My job is hot, is harder than a deployed military member's job. <laughs> Y'all remember when Tom Cruise said that one? Yeah. <laughs> It's much harder to play make-believe than it is to be in the military. I am the best pilot to ever exist, okay? 
it, it really goes back to what he said. Like, no one cares about your politics and no one cares about your culture. Because why on earth would I take advice with someone who plays make, who lies? Not even plays make-believe. They essentially lie for a living. Their job is to lie. You're supposed to believe that I am this person when in reality I'm not. So why am I taking your opinion on politics or culture when your, your, your job is essentially what kids do when they're little? You just get paid millions of dollars for it. Mm-hmm. And Adam Driver was, a, was in the military. I think he was a Marine. Yes. Maybe that's why he's laughing so much because he knows what real life is. And he hasn't been a, uh, a Hollywood star since he was 14, 15 years old, uh-huh. like Michelle Williams was. You know, so he's able to laugh about it. Same thing with Ricky Gervais. Ricky Gervais didn't get really famous until his like, 30s. He probably had a, little more, a couple more years of uh, living in the real world, you know? Also, he's just funny. Yeah. And they tried to label him as right wing after this. It's like, no, no, he, it doesn't matter right or left when you're coming at this way. That's just the real world. He's just telling it like it is. I don't care what his views on anything are. It's that's just that's life. No one cares. You're in Hollywood. You get paid to play make believe. No one cares. The same thing happened with Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle is now being labeled a right winger because he's saying basic truths. He literally said the other night that you have the First Amendment, that comedians have to protect the First Amendment, and the Second Amendment is there in case the First Amendment fails. Mm-hmm. And that's that's basic conservatism that Dave Chappelle is spouting, but he is not a right winger by any stretch of the imagination. And I think conservatism is just becoming common sense amongst a lot of people. Yeah. Called being an American. What, what Dave Chappelle could actually classify himself as, and I've never heard the term classical liberal up until about a year ago. <laughs> I'm still not even really sure what it, what it is, even based off of the, the definition of it. But um, he would be along with the, the Joe Rogans and that that field of thought. You know what I mean? And for them to try to push him as if he belongs to those right-wingers, as if he's, like, extreme in thought, he's straight cut and dry, straight up and down the middle. You've heard his previous comedy where he was defending um, liberal ideology. But because he has a few thoughts that line up with, with conservatism, conservatism, now he's a, a bad guy in their eyes. It's horrendous. Because the left is all or nothing, that's why. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got to be out of your mind and batshit crazy or <laughs> you're a, white, a right-winger. I mean, it's, it's really sad when the left can't even enjoy comedy because, well, one, because they're all being called out for being pedophiles and rapists and all the other things and owning sweatshops. But when you can't even take it, when they can't take a joke, they haven't been able to take a joke for years, and it's, it's sad. I mean, I feel bad for them. Cancel culture. Yep. <laughs> Cancel I think Hannah Gadsby is. Yeah, I think Hannah Gadsby is a uh, the most important comedian in the world right now. She literally had an hour long uh, Netflix special where she didn't tell a joke. <laughs> <laughs> oh god! I mean, all the left's jokes are about how much they hate Donald Trump and getting abortions. Like that's that's their entire comedic platform. It's mm-hmm. like come about on, how the world is going to end in twelve years or yeah. I, now it's ten years. Oh my god. I mean, if they really wanted to, they could just donate all their money to the government. If they believe in it so much, why don't all these Hollywood people just donate massive amounts of their own money to the government to fix global warming? And Here's stop saving private know. jets. Yeah. Forget about the, the donating the massive amounts of the government. These, a lot of actors, they make what, $15, 20000000 million a movie. 
Yeah. They work. They work in their hours. They put their hours in. But then you got the people who are putting their hours in behind the scenes who are, I don't even know how much they're making. They're probably making good salaries. But if you really want to run a socialist thing, why don't you say everyone in the movie set, take all the salaries, mix them together, and then pay everybody by the hour, no matter what you did. You know what I'm saying? And if, like, let's see one actor put their money where their mouth is. Mm-hmm. Let's see one person say, I will take my $20 million, we'll put it all in a pool. And I'm not saying that, oh, you work for five minutes, so you get the same amount that you work for. Each to their ability, to each to their means. How about that? You know what I'm saying? Whatever Mark said. Let's see one of them do that. They won't. They won't do that. They'll complain about income inequality. They'll complain about um, a woman's right to choose on the stage. They'll lecture the country about Me Too when they were the ones who, who, who created the casting couch. They lecture everybody, but they don't do anything. That's the definition of being a leftist. <laughs> that was a great point. <laughs> I like the little cat, the casting couch slide in and next. <laughs> I'm sure they did too. <laughs> My name is Mary. I'm 18. I just moved to Los Angeles and I want to be an actress. <laughs> you want to be an actress, huh? <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Let me just lock this door here. <laughs> I'm not joining in on this one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, let's move on. Let's move on. Iran. So a lot's happened. Well, not a lot. Very little has actually happened, but big steps towards the end game with Iran. And we talked about that. That was World War Three. We just had World War Three happen yesterday, right? You mean, you mean the rockets that didn't hit anything? That was a quick war. What is everyone complaining about in in the forties? It was so fast. I mean, come on. Let's, the left entirely lost their mind thinking we were going to war with China and Russia at the exact same time, where there'd be these massive hits on U.S. soil from Iran. When in reality, Iran essentially warned the Iraqis they were going to fire, 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 sorry, fire these rockets at this Air Force base so that it could be evacuated. Half the rockets didn't even hit the target, and there were zero casualties. Trump then imposed economic sanctions on Iran, which pissed off Ilhan Omar because she is in bed with all of Iran. But, like, this is this is another thing that was completely blown out of proportion. The left tried to call Trump a warmonger. You know, meanwhile, they defend Barack Obama and his killing of so many people in Libya and all over the place through drone strikes. But this is what the left does. They take, they take what's going on and they twist it. So, Moshe, um, what is, you know, your view on the events that transpired from the killing of Soleimani up until the end of World War III? <laughs> well, I mean, the killing of Soleimani was an incredibly courageous move on the Trump administration. I believe that the um, Obama administration and the Bush administration both had the opportunity to kill him and they chose not to because they were afraid of, of escalating tensions with Iran. Um, and I think Trump did a very courageous thing um, and made the call. He said, this guy's a terrorist. This guy killed hundreds of, of Americans. This guy's killed thousands of, of tens of thousands of Muslims in the Middle East of Iranians. He's killed thousands of Iranians. Nobody's really talking about the fact that Iranians have been on the streets protesting the Iranian government and they're being gunned down on the streets. And I said, um, Tiananmen Square, I just wrote, wrote this in the article I wrote for Daily Wire about this. Tiananmen Square in China in 1989, that's part of history. It's part of history when the Chinese government massacred its own students. It's not part of history that, I, that the Iranian government did the exact same thing. That the Iranian government is massacring their own uh, civilians. And that is not going to be in the history books. Nobody's going to talk about it because nobody's talking about it now. And for it to be entering history, it has to be talked about right now. So, and Soleimani's responsible for that. That was his thing. Trump made the right call 
after the embassy, that was the straw that broke the camel's back, the Baghdad embassy, but they also had the uh, blocking of the ships in the Strait of Hormuz. They had the uh, knocking down the American drone. They had literally four decades worth of, of, of terrorism by Soleimani himself. There was a picture that was going around about the hostages in 1979 with Soleimani in the picture. He's holding one of the hostages. He was right there this entire time for four decades. And Trump said, you know what, done, I'm out, and this is it, and he took him out. And the ridiculous thing has been, this could have been a unifying moment in the country, just like the killing of Osama bin Laden. And I'm not even going to say like the killing of al-Baghdadi, because al-Baghdadi wasn't even a unifying moment in the country, even though that was just an ISIS terrorist leader. That should have been like Osama bin Laden also. But everyone was, at the time, they were just talking about, oh, Trump didn't inform Congress, Trump uh, said something mean about when he announced it, about a dog, and like, that's where the media went with it. It wasn't a unifying country. If you look back to 2011 and when Osama bin Laden was killed, everybody, Republicans, Democrats, everybody got together over the fact that this was an amazing thing. Republicans were praising Barack Obama, even though it was an incredibly easy call, but nobody, no Republicans went, well, you know, Obama really violated Pakistani airspace. He really shouldn't have done that. It's like, what? <laughs> oh, it may escalate tensions in the Middle East because he went into Pakistan and they, they blew up a helicopter over there because they, they crash landed it. How could Obama? Did any commentator do that? No. All you had was chance of USA. This is a unifying moment. Thank God he's dead. And that should have been what Soleimani did. But instead, you have a group of, of members of Congress still last night. They were still talking. It was an assassination. He shouldn't have done it. it it's over. They're still talking about it. It's, they're still talking about how he could have started World War III, but he didn't. It's over, and they're, they just don't want to give Trump any possible win, and it is, frankly, it's disgusting. Zach? So, going off of bin Laden, when bin Laden was killed, finally, right, both people on the right and the left were extremely grateful that they finally caught up with him, and often, nobody looked at Obama and said, that was a horrible idea. Why would you do that? Why would you disrespect Iranian airspace and drop soldiers in and da-da-da-da? It was the end of an era that completely put a black eye on the United States. And even those who were on the right thanked Obama for making that decision, for making that call and getting, that, getting rid of uh, Osama bin Laden. Now, the squad stood up last night <laughs> and they made a whole speech and Elhan Omar mentioned the fact that, or she mentioned that Iranian, the Iranian ability to defend itself against ISIS was eroded because we killed Soleimani. However, what she neglected to mention was when Obama was president, we were fighting against the Syrian regime, the uh, al-Assad, and we were fighting against ISIS which allowed ISIS to grow from the JV team that he said it was to this huge terrorist network with an extreme military uh, wing. So when Trump is elected, they shrink down in size and he was able to say that he destroyed 100% of ISIS. So killing Soleimani has no bearing on Iran's ability to defend itself against ISIS. He drew down a lot of what, what Obama was doing, destroyed ISIS as the caliphate that it had grown to be, which made Iran safer, the Iranian people safer against ISIS. 
So Trump also saved the Iranian people against the terrorists while destroying their ter- against a, one terrorist organization while destroying a terrorist that was eroding the culture of the Iranian people. So Trump saved several countries <laughs> by himself with his decision-making. And then the squad stood up there and said that he likes to set fires and appear to douse the flames after. Iran warned of the impending strikes. When we killed Soleimani, we just did it. They had the ability to sit there and strike us back and say, if you want war, we're going to bring the war. But they didn't do it. Because they, they don't want war out. with us. They don't want war with us. No one wants war with us. They don't want to take us on. You have to be a dumbass to want to take us on. Which is why exactly. everyone who tries to take us on ends up dying. Thank you, ISIS. <laughs> An extreme death, too. <laughs> like Just a dog. Blow their limbs apart. <laughs> Crying, wondering like a dog. <laughs> All right, guys. Last topic. I know, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I just think it's incredible how, um, how you know, we really, we punched, we broke Iran's face. Like, we punched him in the face, and the broke his face, and they have a bloody nose, and they got to go to the hospital. They got to figure things out. And they retaliate, retaliate by flicking us in the arm. And then, we're, and then some people in the audacity say, when Trump said, okay, you know, like, that, that's it. We're just going to put in economic sanctions, but we're not going to basically bomb them after that. Some people have the audacity to say that Trump, chickened out of don't don't escalate the war but trump's a chicken like like what is what is this logic i it is just pure trump derangement syndrome but i think it's more than that i think there's just a we do not there are people on the left who do not believe that america is a place that's worthwhile defending that that the ideas of america are worthwhile uh upholding that and I think Colin Kaepernick embodies this a lot because Colin Kaepernick wrote that whole tweet about how basically we just killed Soleimani because he's a brown guy. Yeah. Like, <laughs> really? The guy has forty years of terrorism under his belt. We did not kill him because he's a brown guy. We killed him because he's a terrorist. And so it's it was absolutely ridiculous. But that's that's Colin Kaepernick just saying that he hates America. That he just that he thinks that America is just a racist white nationalist place that kills brown people and it's all part and parcel of the same thing which is you may say it's trump derangement syndrome but i think that there's a big part of it that's just no america is not worth a place worth defending and america is a place worth defending and trump knows that trump embodies that yeah and they you see the same stuff where you have these groups such as um was it gays gays for palestine or gays against islamophobia and even iran just executed a bunch of people for being gay and it's, it, they don't live in the real world. They don't live in you know in a in a in a real world. That's what it is. They live in this fantasy world where every single person who is not white is a victim of white oppression, and it's just not. It's not true. And but they want to keep pushing it and keep pushing it because they have nothing to fight for. What do white liberals from wealthy New York City families have to fight for? Nothing. You have nothing to fight for. The women's rights movement. What are you fighting for? Tell me one right that women don't have that men have. Gay rights. What's one right that gay people don't have? They can't answer it. It's all made up lies. It's oppression. It always comes out as this verbal diarrhea. And they don't have anything left to fight for. It's like, what was it? Um, Fight Club. When he talks about we have no great war, no great depression. 
people need something to do. And unfortunately, what they think they need to do is destroy our culture and remake it because they're bored. First world problems. Yeah, really? <laughs> that dives exactly. back into what we spoke about before, the surrogate warfare. Yes. Making people's issues uh, your own when it's not. Uh, when Rabbi Herschel marched against Mar- or marched alongside Martin Luther King, he never took the issue that the Jewish community was facing and tried to make it the issue of uh, what Martin Luther King was facing. He took Martin Luther King's issue and focused on that and then vice versa. They never tried to mesh the two. And what's happening now is you're having the women's rights issues, you have the Palestinian issues, you have the gay issues, and they're trying to make it this whole thing, intersectionality, and they're trying to make it look like the fight is everyone's fight is one big conglomerate. So now you have people that can take advantage of that, like Ilhan Omar and uh, Iran and, and Qatar, and they can place their fights into the mind of the people and then just erode the American mentality. And it's no longer focused on what's good for America as a whole and what's good for America as a people. It's what's good for Iran, what's good for Qatar, what's good for everywhere else but right here at home. And that's the biggest issue. Our foreign policy should be based off, yes, helping allies, which none of those countries are really, but also how do our in how are our interests help by this action? So killing Soleimani helps us because we get rid of someone who's been targeting U.S. troops, who's been a terrorist, who's been inflicting pain upon the Iraqi and Iranian people. So that helps an ally, which in turn helps us. That's how foreign policy works. And that's what a lot of these Ameri- these isolationists are not getting, is that the world is not this tiny place anymore. or this, No, it's not this big place anymore, where we can go hide in our own hemisphere. We try to hide in our own hemisphere, people are still going to come after us because you have a large segment of people. I'm not going to say exactly who they are, but we all know who they are, who want to kill us simply because we are Americans. We could do nothing else to them for the next 10 years. They would still be plotting for ways to kill us because they despise our culture, they despise our freedom, and they despise our way of life. And that's a problem. So we can no longer just be sitting on our own little corner of the world. Should we be running around everywhere being super aggressive and trying to take everyone out? No. But we should be doing things that will help our country, that are in our interest, and will help our allies overseas. Agreed. All right, guys, let's move on to the last segment here. So we, we, Tack and I discussed this a little bit on a few episodes, but the rise of anti-Semitism in New York, especially, has been horrific. Um, the media is finally reporting on it since it's coming from the black community. But, you know, a lot of the a lot of these groups, especially on the left, such as people like Ilhan Omar and Rashid Tlaib, tried to blame these attacks originally, especially the Jersey City one, on white supremacism, even though they were committed by black people. And. That apparently that's the only way to get Ilhan Omar and Rashid Tlaib to support Jewish people is to blame it on white supremacy. As soon as it came out that these were black people perpetrating these attacks, they deleted their tweets and they've been radio silent. Osha, what is your view on this rise in anti-Semitism, especially among the black community, especially in New York? Where is this coming from? So it hasn't been um, recent. This has been going on for a few years. Um, in fact, even the New York Times reported on it, uh, reported on the fact that they weren't reporting on it in October of 2018, uh, where they said um, that, the, well, the reason we haven't really been reporting on it is because there hasn't been a way to associate it with a, with a right-wing movement. So, 
Good job, New York and, Times. <laughs> good, good work, guys. Um, they're like, oh, well, we can't really associate it with people that we dislike, so we're just not going to report it at all, which means that you don't care about the victims. You care about who is committing the crime. Mm-hmm. And if you claim, if you only care about who's committing the crime and not the victims, then you can't claim to care about the victims at a later point. You can't be selectively caring about the victims. So there, there, I think the reason why it became such a big deal um, now is because it just so much happened so quickly. There were 13 attacks in, I think, a little under two weeks, um, around an attack a day. Some of them ranged from, it starting with really the Jersey City thing was, was the big one because people actually died. Um, then there was this one in, uh, in Muncie where it, that guy with the machete came in and stabbed five people. Um, I've seen some of the pictures, they're horrific. And I actually, my, uh, my day job, uh, I work at the B&H, and uh, I know a lot of people who have relatives and uh, who are victims of these attacks. Um, and it's just, it was just constantly going on. Um, and people are just, their videos, their surveillance videos are just people walking down the street and just punching them in the face. Now, I think that there's a lot of reasons why this could be happening. Um, why it's happening, or why this all happened in the same week, I can't really explain, but why it's been happening over the past two years can be explained for a few reasons based on, I think there's a lack of fathers uh, in, the, in the black community that are basically saying that, in, especially in that part of the black community, in that part of Brooklyn, um, I think that there is, a, there absolutely is a, a um, some conflict going on between the Jewish community and the black community when it comes to housing, when it comes to um, Jews coming in, and it's not acceptable to have violent um, outbursts about that. But I think that there is a certain amount of apologism going on but from, uh, from people in the black community. There was that member of the school board um, after Jersey City that basically wrote a whole long tirade on Facebook, basically saying, well, Jewish brutes come in and offer us money for our property and move into Jersey City, and then they don't help out. They don't send our kids to the public school, so we lose the funding from the state and all that kind of stuff. Um, and that, that woman is still um, on the school board. She didn't resign. Um, I think that there's just a lot going on. And, and why it came to a head all now, um, you know, that is, un, I don't really understand it, to be honest, like why that's been going on. But I think that there has just been a general um, uh, unease in between the communities for a long time. And I think that that combined with the bail reform, that combined with the way that New York is treating its criminals and basically saying, oh yeah, you can get out of jail, you have a get out of jail free card. In fact, here's, here's some money, please come back. Um, I think the bail reform laws are basically, which, which came into New York early. Um, I think people are being emboldened. They understand that, that small petty crimes like, you know, punching somebody and running away or calling, um, what's it called, uh, defamatory uh, names or stuff like that. That's not really, nobody really cares about that anymore. Um, the closing, I think the closing of Rikers Island emboldened a lot of people um, and saying, okay, they're not even like sending me to this scary islands, you know, far away. I'm, if I, at worst, I'll be in my backyard. I'll be in my neighborhood. I'll go through an arraignment. I'll get out in 24 hours mm-hmm. and then I'll do whatever I want again. So I might as well have some fun. You know, there's a guy who's dressed in a weird hat and has a weird long beard and wears this weird um, uh, coat in the middle of the summer. 
you know, I can throw some garbage at him, just like they throw water at police officers. I mean, it's, it's all part and parcel of the same thing. And I think that there's just a general level of disrespect. And I think that, and I think it's, you know, when you don't have good role models or you don't have, um, you know, uh, uh, something that's going to basically say, slap you in the face and say, what are you doing? Then that, that kind of thing could happen. Definitely attack anything, Ed. Uh, so one of the big things I believe is uh, we don't focus on learning about each other anymore when it comes to the, the two cultures. Um, I think you have a certain sect when it comes to Judaism that kind of wants to do, like you spoke about isolate isolationism and they kind of want to like isolate into a corner and it becomes one of those things that is a a foreign entity. And on the the side of the, of blacks in the neighbor, in those neighborhoods, uh, one, they don't, they're not educated on, on two specific things, not educated on, on opening their own businesses in those neighborhoods so when I do see other people come in and, and open up businesses, it's like, oh, gentrification now. And they, depending on what the business is, they don't offer the skills <laughs> that's needed for because of a lack of education in those neighborhoods anyway. Um, and then the, the cultural aspect, they forget about the, the Sammy Davis Juniors, who, who is Jewish. Uh, they forget about, like I brought up earlier, Rabbi Herschel. They forget about the fact that the two cultures have melded together before. Um, Civil War Union soldiers, and like I always bring that up, we've fought next to each other for very similar battles time and time and time again, and that's not being taught. They don't know how close the black community has been to the Jewish community before in the past. And that, that has to be brought up. And um, we just have to show Alex is Jewish. My my fiance is Jewish. You know what I mean? So it's it's one of those things that has to be brought up and we have to show how, how tight knit we are with each other. I think a big issue that there is too is that there is this push on the left where if you don't agree with someone or someone appears to be opposing you, they are automatically this awful person and you and violence is allowed. So these people, these ignorant, ignorant people are seeing, oh, like you said, Moshe, these people with the funny hat and, you know, Jews are in mm-hmm. my neighborhood. This is my neighborhood. And I don't want them here. It's OK for me to assault them and attack them to try to push them out. And that's a big problem. And it's not going anywhere unless we change. The, you got to change the culture. And the left is not trying to do that. The left is moving further away from normalcy. They are moving further out of the realm of if you don't like someone, you can debate them. Or if you don't like someone, you can just disagree yeah. with them where it sounds out to is no, these people are the enemy and they're not, they're Americans, regardless of your race, creed, whatever it is, we are all Americans. We all have to live here. And if you don't want to live here, you can leave, but I'm not going to leave. So if you, I'm going to walk down the street. I'm going to live where I want to live. And that's what it's going to be, but I'm not your enemy. I am a fellow American citizen, but they are seeing anyone who is not their own as the enemy. Now, when, uh, when you have illegals that are brought into these, into the United States and allowed to stay here. They're not moving illegal immigrants to Malibu. They're moving them to the hub in the Bronx. They're moving them to uh, Fort Greene, Brooklyn. You know what I mean? They're moving them into Compton. And what the what they do is they work hard. They all live together. And then they open up their first store. They're not hiring the original inhabitants of the neighborhood because, one, you don't speak the language. Two, you don't know what the hell an empanada is or how to make it. 
they're opening up their own cultural shops because they understand that the way the neighborhood looks is going to change. Zach, that is racist. I know exactly what that's <laughs> And I can YouTube how to make it. They're delicious. <laughs> but it's true. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And because one side, one group isn't going to start trying to open up their own stores and, and offering that kind of uh, buffer there, you know, they're just going to allow it to happen and they're not going to get mad at it because of the current way things are being pushed is, oh, they're brown, so it's okay. But if the other I mean, individuals yeah. are pale, you know what I mean, then it's something you have to be mad at and you have to act in an aggressive manner. It's the same I mean, thing. Just take the, yeah, just, just reverse the races for just a second. You know, take, imagine if it was just a white neighborhood and there are just a bunch of white teenagers between the ages of white male teenagers between the ages of 14 and 18. And every single time a, then some black people started moving in and they started, you know, build, making their own businesses and going to their own schools and all these kind of things. And then every single time a black person walked down the street uh, and uh, they passed by a group of 14 to 18 year old white kids and the white kids just, screamed slurs and pushed them or punched them and just walked away and like whatever. And this was all caught on security cameras. And this didn't happen once. This happened 20, 30 times. And we have videos of this just happening and just people running up and punching people and then running away. Just imagine if, would that be a story that the New York Times wouldn't think about covering? Or they wouldn't, uh, they would say, oh, well, we can't really figure out an ideological reason or yada, yada, yada. I think that there's a lot of stupidity on these. Uh, these are teenagers. Teenagers do a lot of stupid things. And like, I have a pretty high bar for anti-Semitism. I think that these are anti-Semitic attacks, of course. But I also think that like, let's say it's like Asians. I think they would probably do the same thing if like Asians moved into the neighborhood or like, or if, if it was reversed and like, it was, it's a different culture. It was an Asian neighborhood and black people moved in and then Asians had the same cultural issues. Then Asians would do it. I think that there's like a stupid, like, we were all 14 year old boys, you know, we all did stupid things. So, and I just think that there's a lack of accountability. I think adults have to be adults. I think that the, that the, I am much more angry at the um, member of the teachers uh, of the school board that wrote a whole tirade because she's an adult and she is the one who has to say that she doesn't have to play lip service to the fact, oh, violence is never acceptable. You have to get in there and say, you cannot do this. This cannot be a thing that happens in our community at all, bar none. And yeah. that was much more of a, what happened in Jersey was much more of a terrorist attack. That was black Hebrew Israelites. They were targeting a yeshiva with 50 school children and they couldn't get into it. So they just went into this supermarket that was next door. But like these random attacks, that is a, you need adults in the room that are saying, stop it. Mm-hmm. We cannot have this. That, like you said before, the problem is there is no adult in the room that is saying that because a lot of these attacks are also being perpetrated by adults. We had, was it Tamika Harris? I forget, I think that was her name. Tamika Harris was arrested three times in three days for assaulting Jewish women. Crazy. Well, she was only, I think only the first time she assaulted Jewish women. And then she got let out. Then she assaulted someone else randomly. And then she got out. <laughs> that's bail reform right there. And that's also what I'm saying with the adults in the room. Uh, I think even de Blasio and, and, and Cuomo, they're now saying... You know, maybe this whole letting people out with, uh, without making them pay a little bit or making sure they're going to come back was a bad idea. Oh, thanks. 
Well, who could have thought? Who could have figured that one out? They don't think two seconds ahead, and they don't treat they. It's. I mean, listen. You want to talk about underlying leftist problems? There is a underlying leftist um, idea that all people are inherently good, and they sometimes do bad things. Whereas people on the right were like, no, no, no. All people are inherently bad, and they sometimes do good things. So let's let's be careful, okay? Let's make sure everyone's protecting themselves. Let's make sure that everyone is is accountable for their actions. You know, like let's do that. It, it, that's exactly where it comes from. I mean, that's why the left wants to ban guns. They think if you ban guns, then no one will hurt you. No one will hurt each other. And it's just not true. We understand that if you make good people defenseless, they take their guns away. They're now defenseless and they are up to the whims of these lunatics. Just like that attack in Muncie. If those pe- if one of those people would have been able to carry a firearm, the second that dude came with a machete, boom, done. That's it. We saw yeah. it at the, sh- at the shooting in Texas. The guy, the guy had one shot off and he got his head to take it down. That's it. It's true. And it, I can tell you in my personal synagogue um, and the synagogues in my neighborhood, uh, ever since, um, I think even before uh, what happened in Tree of Life in uh, Pittsburgh, um, we just have security. And that's it. We have volunteers. Um, we have gun carrying volunteers. And uh, I've seen guns in the synagogue. And guess what? I'm not scared of a Jew carrying a gun in the synagogue. You know what? I look at that and I say, thank you. Thank you for putting your life on the line because when the push comes to shove, you're the ones going to be taking that shot for me. And I appreciate that. And we have people who are volunteering. We have organizations that basically stand at that. And, and on, on the Sabbath, it's a very important day to pray. I mean, um, and they don't go to pray or they wake up extra early to go to an earlier prayer or, but they, they take time out of their own religious convictions to protect everyone else. It's an incredible thing. And that's just something we have to do. And it's, it's a sad state of affairs. Hopefully one day that, you know, we'll be able to say, you know what, we don't need to do this anymore. But um, it's not because of the guns. It's because there are people out there who think that this is acceptable behavior and this is what, what's acceptable. Tack, anything else? It, what, <laughs> what he was just explaining reminds me of uh, seeing the guns in the synagogue. You ever seen the movie Defiance? Yes. Oh, well, I didn't see it. No, but was that the one with uh, James Bond? What's his name? Daniel Craig? Yes, yeah, with Daniel Craig. Yeah, yeah that's exactly. It. I was watching a, a, um, a, a video on Instagram the other day, and it was showing one of the guys, his former IDF, and he was training the people in the synagogue how to use specific firearms. And I was like, it looks like Daniel Craig <laughs> teaching <laughs> the Jews from Belarus how to use these firearms so the Nazis couldn't come into where they were staying at and just slaughter them you know i was like this yeah. is freaking awesome it's about damn time that it's happening yeah i think adam carolla who is i love adam carolla and he said um the jews have a wide wide range of uh of people when it comes to you're either you you'll take them on any day of the week you'll punch them in the face and like they're very meek and little and then there's the Israeli soldier you would not mess with it <laughs> at all. And it's like we have both ends of the spectrum. I don't know, maybe I, I like to think I fall somewhere in the middle, but I'm not sure. I'm not tall. Hopefully you won't have to get tested anytime soon. Exactly. <laughs> I can defend myself, all right? Bring it. <laughs> all right, guys, Moshe, thank you so much for coming on. Can you tell the people at home where they can find out more about you, more of your work? Sure. Uh, so I have my blog, ahillwithview.com. Uh, you can find me on Facebook at A Hill with a View or on Twitter at The Mohill. Um, 
And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a regular columnist at the Queen's Jewish Link, queensjewishlink.com. I'm on the Daily Wire, dailywire.com. Um, I'm on uh, various podcasts, uh, but yeah, it's all on my website. Just hillwithreview.com is the best place. All right. So guys, make sure you check him out. Excellent, excellent episode. Uh, make sure you follow Tack on Instagram at Solomon Tack. That's two A's and a C. There's no K in Tack. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at GetRedPillNY. Make sure you check out our website, EmpireStateConservativeNetwork.com. Our store is there. All our episodes are there. Check us out on any platform. Remember, every time you listen, you help us earn money. Anything you buy helps us earn money so we can spread our reach, so we can do things to help take back New York. The situation is getting dire. We see it getting worse. It is deteriorating. We need to move forward and take things back. So for that, Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself. And don't let fear take your freedom.